Hello and welcome to episode 218 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. I hope you enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend, at least here in the US. It was a three-day weekend, longer than three days for many people, and it turned out to, I think, be the busiest travel weekend in years here in the US. So did you go anywhere? Did you do anything? I did not. As someone who who looks at these numbers on a regular basis and thinks about these things, I made the strategic decision, and I think it was the right one, to go nowhere. That is a good decision. I did go places, but I did not fly. We were in a rental car, which is something. But yeah, happy to be nowhere near airports at all this weekend. But everything seemed to go mostly okay, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, you know, kind of going into the weekend, I was wondering if we were going to see a repeat of anything that happened last year. Though the US was mostly less affected writ large than say Europe was last summer. But still, I mean, this is the first real stress test of the system for the year. And it seems that airlines and airports did a remarkable job. I saw photos of long lines, but I also saw people saying, oh, it only took a few minutes to get through. And you know the lines were moving, so that's good. And everybody got where they needed to go and hopefully yeah. had a good weekend. Thankfully, no adverse weather really across the country, I think, at least that I'm aware of. At least here in the Northeast, it was still is absolutely perfectly beautiful, except that smoke and haze we have from wildfires in, I think, Nova Scotia, Canada, which is a little early in the year for such a thing. But all in all, not too bad. Good job, everyone. Yeah. So let's keep it going. Let's build on that. What we will do is have a podcast that is very, very unusual because news broke before we hit the record button. That's not to say news won't break after we stop. But in this rare instance, there is breaking news happening before we hit record, just before it actually. American Airlines CEO Robert Isom saying that American Airlines will appeal the Northeast Alliance decision, the decision by the judge that invalidated the Northeast Alliance between American and JetBlue that we covered on last week's episode. So if you're wondering what they're going to appeal, we talked about the decision on last week's episode. And I'll quote Robert Eisen because he's, oh, he's he's just so quotable. Look, we got a legal system that allows for appeal, and we're going to do that, end quote. All right. Good, good for them. I would say it's a bit surprising, actually, that not only is American appealing it, since they were pretty blasé about the whole thing when the ruling came out that said, oh, you know, we don't really need the Northeast. It's immaterial to our short-term operations. No big deal. And then American turns out to be the airline that first says it's going to appeal this. And maybe they're only appealing it because of the 30-day imposition, that unwinding this all within 30 days is pretty unreasonable. So maybe they're just doing it for that. They don't actually – I'm sure they care about the Northeast Alliance, but maybe they don't actually – need it in the long term. But if anyone was appealing this, I really thought it would be JetBlue, but maybe they don't want to poke the bear at this point because they've got some other things going on in the land of the DOJ. So I guess it makes sense that American is appealing it instead of JetBlue or before JetBlue. But yeah, didn't really expect this to happen. Yeah. American had said that you know there was no impact to their short-term operations. They didn't really say much about the long-term operations, but 
that was more of a traffic calming measure where they are not traffic calming, but kind of nerve calming measure where they just wanted to say, oh, look, you know, people are going to be able to fly. You know, we've sold tickets. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Like you said, they haven't actually appealed this yet. So we don't know what the argument against the ruling is going to be. As Jason alluded to, I strongly suspect that the 30 day, I don't, again, Jason, well, I'm not a lawyer and Jason just plays one on TV. That's but, true. You know, it'd be interesting to see if there's any legal ground to stand on that says this is physically impossible. Yes. Well, this can happen. I some added, and these are being paraphrased or quoted to us by Ross Feinstein. We're going to work with the Justice Department. We're going to work with JetBlue to find out exactly what we do in the interim, and we are going to do that. So it it seems like they're covering all bases. It's not surprising that they're appealing it because they kind of have to. It's unrealistic to unwind this whole thing in 30 days, but I really expected JetBlue to raise that flag first rather than American. I'm just interested in the fact that it took this long. I mean, were they just reading very slowly? Oh, Did it, it take long? It was a weekend, and we just discussed that. This came out, <laughs> what, the Friday or the Wednesday, was it, before a big but holiday week? I don't think the ruling was a surprise, or the timing of the ruling was a surprise. You would think that they you know, would have a pre-write, but I guess not. I don't know. In any case, when they do actually file the appeal, we'll cover that. But until then, look, we've got a legal system. All right. That's good news. That's the news right there. So this happened last Friday during the day, local time in South Korea. And at first, I thought I was being pranked. Because when you read the headline, passenger opens door mid-flight, you think to yourselves, they went to the bathroom? Which door? The cockpit door? The yeah, the like galley what, door? Specify, specify what we're talking about here. And as it turns out, the passenger did not open the door mid-flight. The passenger opened the door as close to the end of the flight as you could possibly get. Here's what happened. Asiana Airlines A321 was flying from uh, Jeju up to Daegu, and about a minute before landing, a passenger seated in the exit row managed to yank open the L3 door on the A321. So that's the not quite full-sized exit door but still larger than an overwing exit that you would see on the A320 or 737-800, but the not quite full-size door that's just aft of the wing. It's the most awkward seat on an A321 because you're staring directly at the flight attendant during takeoff and landing. It's presumably also right when this event occurred as well, I'd assume. Yes. So one does assume that this person was staring right at the flight attendant and then decided to yank open the door. I wonder if the flight attendant was giving the looks of like, I dare you. I dare you to touch the door. And man, they they did it. I, I certainly hope not. But I really want to know like why this happened and what the investigation reveals. So well, they were ready, willing, and able to open the door. <laughs> oh. Yes, yes, they fulfilled their obligations or demonstrated their obligations. Too well, too soon. Too soon, yeah. But yeah, it's. I almost didn't believe it when I saw it because we all know that this is not supposed to be a thing that's possible until we learned. Oh, they were only at seven hundred feet, where basically the aircraft is not quite unpressurized, but basically 
unpressurized. The pressure is close enough to the outside air pressure. Right. The pressure inside. So for those that don't know, nearly all aircraft cabin doors, nearly all passenger aircraft cabin doors, and there are various examples where this isn't the case and some caveats and things like that. But generally speaking, the doors that you walk into and out of on an aircraft are plug style doors. They are held in place by the air pressure inside the aircraft, pushing the door outwards against the fuselage, against the lower pressure outside the aircraft. And they're held in place by a plug. And the amount of pressure that you would need in order to get that door open, you know, in climb through descent, climb, cruise, and descent, the pressure that you need to get that door open, it's just physically impossible for a human to do. There's no person on the face of the planet who is strong enough to open that door. As the aircraft gets much closer to the ground, we found out it is possible and there is a strength in which a human being can unlock and open the door. And it gets windy real quick. And it gets very windy, yeah. This happens every now and then where there's a news article of some person playing with the door, trying to open the door, panicking, freaking out. And years ago, I don't even remember to what newspaper or news outlet or whatever, I once provided an interview and a quote about what happens. And basically, I said, it is at altitude, it is physically impossible to open the door. It cannot happen. I mean, every time one of these events occurs, that quote is extracted from its original source. And I get quoted in these random places anytime one of these happens. It did not come up. This quote was not used in this most recent example because <laughs> it turns out, yeah, like you said, Ian, because it is under the exact right circumstances possible to pop open the door. So prove me wrong, prove everyone wrong. But that, yeah. The scariest thing in this event wasn't the fact that the door was opened because there wasn't enough inside pressure differential to the outside to suck things out of the cabin. It just got really, really windy. And I'm sure that was not comfortable for people. There were some people who needed medical attention, but no one was seriously injured. Yes. People were just understandably freaking out, hyperventilating. Totally. It's not something you want to see. So I could understand why people were absolutely freaked out and needed medical attention because, yeah, anyone sitting close to that now open hatch in the aircraft would not really be having a great day. The scariest thing to me is this. When you open the door and the doors are armed, which the doors were at this point, the escape slide automatically deploys and inflates. The escape slide is big enough for people to exit the aircraft and then use as a life raft, which means it is not small. And the aircraft traveling, where, the aircraft traveling that? at 150. So, so there's a. So we've got a post up on the blog, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they found it somewhere, you know, relatively near where the door was opened. But if you look at the photo, and I tried to find the best photo I could to really look at this to see whether or not it had torn off in flight or they had cut it off before this picture was taken on the ground in Daegu. And to me, it looks like there was a shear in the fabric and it tore off. So at some point, the slide deployed, it's blown you know, backwards by the slipstream and the thrust of the engine. And then you also have the horizontal stabilizer and the vertical stabilizer, the tail fin, behind where this slide is deployed. If that slide gets caught on the horizontal stabilizer, 
this becomes a much different conversation. Yeah, that would be a much worse day for everyone involved and would probably require some actual medical attention to passengers on board at best. Yeah, at, at best. Good point, but I don't see how you engineer your way out of that because doors armed. You're not going to want to use any like weight on wheels sensor because maybe the wheels aren't even deployed and the slide is needed. So, Well, I mean, like just think about you know, Cactus 1549. I mean, there were no wheels. Yeah. I don't know. This is a. I. I what, this, this is, is such a, an edge case. Yeah, it's an edge engineering case that you would never engineer your way out of because it would never happen. But it happened. But it happened. So maybe there's some learnings here. And it's but, not the uh, first time something like this has happened. Meaning the slide deploy. We have seen in cases previously where the slide is improperly, accidentally deploys in flight. Never good. But I don't know if a slide has ever been deployed in flight because the door was physically opened. Right. That's a new one. And didn't we just talk about recently how the slide might actually accidentally deploy on 737s inside the aircraft, yes. not outside the aircraft. So these things are complicated. They are indeed. So Asiana has, I don't want to call it solve the problem, but their interim solution is they are no longer selling seats in the exit row. Oh, that is not and a solution. <laughs> I don't know if that helps or not. And like... I guess you have to be seen to be doing something, but thinking, you know, on the risk profile here, what is the statistical likelihood of this happening? Like another person being like, I'm going to try it now. I don't believe we know why it happened. No, we don't have any of that information. So I don't know, but it's not unheard of in countries like China to hear people popping open the door because they wanted some fresh air. But that usually happens on the ground, not in the air. So who knows what happened here. But I don't think blocking the seats in the exit row is really a solution in the long term. No, I don't think so either. Speaking of long-term solutions to interesting problems, there's a new airline that just bought an aircraft. And we're going to talk about it. Do we and have I'm to? I'm forcing I, Jason to do it. I really don't even want to acknowledge the existence of any information regarding this nonsense because it's nonsense. That's it. I look at this as nipping it in the bud. All right. So it's a one time deal. We will not talk about this ever again unless it flies. Then we can talk about it. If it flies, then we'll talk about it. Because if if you want to just look back and we can have a whole discussion about Baltia, we could just rewind the podcast to Baltia, and I'm sure it's almost the exact same situation. They bought an aircraft that was ridiculous too. But let's get into it. One and only time. Yeah, the one and only time. So here's the deal. We talked about this briefly, I don't know, six months ago, maybe a year ago, when the airline Global Airlines – Great name. Great name. Real, not uh, default Microsoft Flight Simulator name. There, We are shades of clip art into this particular experience. But so six months ago, maybe a year ago, they had wanted to install gaming seats on the aircraft and have this you know, whole experience and it was going to be this fantastic thing. Now it sounds like they've decided to buy an A380 and just install seats 
So I just want to read something to you to let you know about how seriously I'm taking this. This is Global Airlines fleet page. It says our A380 fleet. It gives some plagiarized copy directly from the Airbus website to start things off. So we'll leave that there for a moment. Then it goes on to say that Global Airlines will have approximately 471 seats aboard our four A380s with more coming in 2024. So they bought one, they're going to buy three more, they say, and then they're going to add more in 2024. That's unclear, but we'll move on. Then they tell us that the A380 is the largest commercial passenger aircraft capable of carrying between 500 and 853 passengers. They're going to have approximately 471 seats on board. I know why. I I know how they get that number. But the aircraft is capable of carrying between 500 and 853 passengers. So they've clearly gone through their own fleet page very, very closely. Yes. And that 471 number is is not just something they have pulled out of their rear end. 471 seats on an A380 just happens to be the exact number of seats on board a Singapore Airlines A380. And it is no surprise that this aircraft is previously a Singapore Airlines A380. 9HMIP is the aircraft. So yeah, we've seen this before. Hi-Fi before COVID and operating, I think, almost exclusively for Norwegian, also was operating an ex-Singapore Airlines A380. So 471, very specific number for a good reason. Yeah. I mean, so sticking with the seats a bit. Mm, This is where it gets really stupid. (laughs) Wait, wait. I actually don't know where you think I'm going with this. So I think I know, but go on. Okay. So our good friend John Walton did a Twitter thread. We're going we're going the same place. So this is where it gets really interesting. They bought side tangent. I cannot imagine how thrilled Doric Aviation is at the moment. That somebody took this thing. Doric was able to sell. They didn't lease the aircraft. They sold. We don't know that any money actually changed hands yet. They have they got rid of it. They don't own it anymore. All right, good for them. That's I don't know how much they bought it for, but I can't imagine it was much. But go on. This is where it really gets interesting. I don't think it matters. They just don't have to deal with it. Wait, not interesting. Sorry, I take the word interesting back. Stupid. I meant to say stupid. Go on. So the aircraft is. 9V SKC, which is the sixth A380. Then it was sent off in the first batch that Singapore retired after 10 years, pretty much on the dot. Then it started service with HiFly as 9H MIP. During COVID, HiFly removed the seats from the main deck, the economy seats from the main deck to use as a COVID combi. They were carrying health supplies and things like that around the world in support of you know COVID relief efforts. But it's the business class seats that are a problem as John Walton gets into, and we'll put a link in the show notes to this Twitter thread because if you're into things that are just bonkersly stupid, this is one of them. Because they now own an aircraft where they can't fly it with the seats that are on it. Mm, so that's fun. As John explains, the business class seats are illegal to fly. The seat maker falsified the safety test data on its seats. And so IASA and the FAA gave them a time limit to 
the seats were already installed. They had already been flying around. The time limit ran out in 2021. It ended up not being a problem for HiFly because COVID basically ended their ability to operate the A380. Once they got a few COVID relief flights out of it, they said, you know, all right, we're done with it. And they parked it and they let it sit. Well, the business class seats are still there. And so if Global Airlines is going to operate this aircraft, they need all new seats. At least in business class. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they put the economy seats back in. I hope they did. We don't know. Singapore, actually, according to planespotters.net, actually still has two of these aircraft in this configuration. Those are parked, and they have been parked since July of 2020 and March of 2020, when things started to get really bad. So even Singapore hasn't finished either refurbishing all of these aircraft to get these seats off, or they just have washed their hands of these aircraft that they can't fly. So what global, what, what, what's the name of this thing again? Just Global Airlines. That's it. Global, just global what Airlines. Global Airlines tends to do with these aircraft that it legally cannot fly. I don't know. As John also said, there are not exactly a lot of seat products out there for the A380 that they can just pick up and put on because there aren't that many operators of the A380. I don't know what their plan is, but whatever it is, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be stupid. I don't want to pay attention to it because this isn't real. I don't believe this is a real thing. It is some sort of Baltia derivative money laundering scheme. I'm sure of it. Prove me wrong. (laughs) All right. We'll leave it there. And if they fly again, or if they fly, we'll talk about it again. All right. But only then. Real airplane news such as it is, is happening this week. Boeing is hosting an event at its Charleston facility talking about all kinds of things from sustainability to how they're going to revamp the 787 production line and increase space and increase their rates. So that's kind of still all you know, happening. But one of the things that Reuters reported on that I thought was worth flagging for this week's podcast is that 737-7 MAX certification is taking more time because of all the new paperwork requirements. And the quote is, a considerable amount of time. Boeing still thinks that they can get the aircraft certified by the end of this year. Oh, yeah. I guess when you know the regulator is actually paying attention and doing its job, things get a little more complicated than when you just get to rubber stamp your own certification. So, Yay. I think it's a good thing that regulators are, in fact, paying attention to the certification of of a new aircraft. I'm not going to call that a bad thing. Nope. So, sticking with Boeing, a judge has ruled this week that relatives of victims killed in the Ethiopian Airlines MAX crash can seek compensation for pain and suffering. This comes out of... The agreement that Boeing struck with the DOJ in 2021, acknowledging liability for the damages and paying into a fund. Some of the family members, they want compensation for the moments of terror that they say their family members felt when they knew that they were going to die. Oh, this is when Boeing said uh, they didn't have time to think about that, right? Right. 
Right. And so the judge ruled this week, and I'll quote him. I'll quote U.S. District Judge Jorge Alonso saying, there is sufficient evidence to support a reasonable inference that these passengers experienced pre-impact fright and terror. And that experience is part of the, quote, process or manner of death, end quote. So the ruling rejects Boeing's motion that they didn't have time to think about these things. The judge says, they did. There's sufficient evidence to believe that they did. And a jury could reasonably infer from the evidence that the passengers perceived they were going to crash. And so this moves forward the lawsuits that are being filed in Illinois because Boeing has agreed not to challenge certain lawsuits, but these lawsuits were challenged and now they have been ruled that they can proceed. So there's just multiple, multiple, multiple rounds of lawsuits. There are Reuters reports that there, as of early May, cases involving around 80 victims have been settled, leaving around 75 pending. So still a number of outstanding lawsuits. Boeing's previous agreement with the DOJ is still in effect, but these lawsuits could add to their liability. Good judge. Good outcome. Good judge. Let's see. What did we talk about last week? Oh, last week, you said I jumped the gun, but I didn't. I was just prescient. Lufthansa is indeed announcing last week its stake in ETA Airways. Lufthansa Group reached an agreement on the acquisition of a 41% stake in ETA. So there, I was just prescient. Yeah. And not just not just taking 41%, but also the Italian government adds in another whopping 250 euros of its own money infused into ITA, because why not? So that's a combined- 250 million. 200, uh, did I say 250 euros? That's not even <laughs> enough for like a <laughs> economy plus upgrade these days. But 250 million euros. They've bought the extra baggage for one yes, flight. Yes, that typo comes from Cranky Flyer, because that is directly read right at his blog. He also forgot the million, and I read it verbatim. But yeah, I am as skeptical as Brett is in this blog post. I'll just read the quote from Lufthansa Group CEO that says, Today's agreement will lead to a win-win situation for Italy, ITA Airways, and the Lufthansa Group. Okay. So now ITA will be just like one of Lufthansa Group's other airlines, like Austrian, Swiss, Brussels, Eurowings, the other Eurowings, the other Eurowings. And also, what's that Italian subsidiary? Aerodolomiti. Or Aerodolomiti. So there is a, a lot going on there. Don't forget the sub-brand of Swiss, Edelweiss. Ah, how can I forget them? How do I, I like that operation. They operate A340-300s. What's their not They do. Like? They're still waiting <laughs> on another one right now. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if we see Aerodolomiti rolled into Ida in some way, since Aerodolomiti is Lufthansa Group's Italian subsidiary thing. I've never been too completely sure what's going on there. But yeah, Lufthansa has always really, really wanted to break into Italy. And here's their shot. It's a done deal. They're hoping to increase their ownership stake in a few years to fully outright own the full thing. So good luck. They're going to need it. It'll be interesting to see how quickly they can get this done. Lufthansa seems pretty optimistic that this particular arrangement will pass scrutiny with regulators. And so we're likely to see this. I think Italy's just extremely happy to be done with it, or at least mostly done with it. And then they can just sell the rest off in a few years' time and hopefully make some of their money back. It won't be done until the Alitalia brand name returns. 
<laughs> Which is possible. Which it's entirely possible. Let's turn back to India where we have more updates on Go First. Lessors have been trying to get their aircraft back. The bankruptcy court has said, no, you can't have your aircraft back while the bankruptcy is pending. And now India's Civil Aviation Authority has also said, no, you can't have your aircraft back while all of this is going on. There's an asset freeze where you're not, can't, you're not taking any aircraft back. These are go first aircraft for the time being, but that could all change because the Director General of Civil Aviation in India has also requested that go first submit a plan within 30 days to say, you need to get going again, or there are going to be problems. And you also need to tell us how you're going to get going again. What's the deal with the pilots? What's the deal with the cabin crew? What's the deal with the aircraft? What's the deal with the maintenance? And have you paid everyone? That's a good question. Which might be the sticking point here. So we'll see how that works out. They've been postponing their restart week by week by week. And now the the Civil Aviation Authority has seemed to have said, You've got 30 days to either relaunch flights or, well, we don't really know or what at this point, but it's not looking good. No, not great. Still just absolutely confused by that market, but we'll see what happens to to go first in their unfortunate series of events. But speaking of events, Ian, what are you doing in five years from now? Jason, I'm not really sure what I'm doing five minutes from now. Well, Well, probably still recording the podcast. Probably. I hope so, unless our our connection gets cut off. But in five years, do you want to book a fight with me in one hour, 23 minutes, 54 minutes, and six seconds from now? Oh, I've got the website pulled up. I'm ready to go. Okay. I'm hitting F5 repeatedly. Let's do it. But yeah, if you want... (laughs) This is a stupid gimmick, but I can't determine if I like it or hate it or I'm indifferent. It's a thing. SAS put up a microsite. What is the actual URL? Travel.flysas.com forward slash electric, where you in just a few days, or actually by the time this podcast comes out, negative time by then or at that exact moment. I don't know. The right around lines the time up perfectly. the podcast comes out, yeah. You can book or not book, reserve possibly a seat on SAS's Heart Aerospace ES30 electric aircraft, which it says is a part of their sustainable journey to a sustainable future. I honestly don't know what to think of this. It's stupid. They have no idea if they'll take delivery of these aircraft, if they will be flying in 2028. They're not taking any money. So this isn't a real thing, but you could be sure that I'm going to try to get my reservation oh, yeah. for this thing. Uh, absolutely. I don't know where it's going to go. It's somewhere domestically or not domestically, but somewhere regionally in Scandinavia. They don't know. They don't know when it will happen. They don't know who will fly on it. They don't know what this aircraft will even fully look like, but I, I'll be booking it. This whole exercise is a willing it into existence. And I'm going to quote their FAQ here. How can SAS guarantee that these flights will operate five years ahead of time? We can't. We do this, quote, we do this to manifest our strong belief in the development of electric aviation as a viable option for low and zero emission aviation. And they go on from there. I would also just like to point out that there's no guarantee that SAS is operating aircraft in five years. That's a harsh but good point. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that SAS is my home airline for all intents and purposes. It's the one I fly the most. I have a lot of thoughts that we've talked about in the past. Flight Radar 24 is 
based in Sweden. So we fly SAS a lot. Our co-founder, I'm pretty sure, is very, very close to having his name put on an aircraft. That's how much he's on I thought board. you have to be a Viking to have your name on he the side He wears of the funny hat and oh, okay. it's like okay. a carve out. But the point is, I'm not rooting against them. I'm oh, just no. saying that there is a distinct possibility that the SAS of five years from now looks remarkably different. It could be Lufthansa Group's sixth network carrier oh, after Eater Airways. No, no. It, it's going to be IAGs. Sure. But my point here is that like this is good gimmick. I'm in. Sign me up. But I really feel bad for anyone who is buying into this thinking like, yeah, okay, well, I'm, I've got my ticket for five years from now. Sure, sure. I mean, you don't have a ticket. You have a, a reservation. They're not taking any money. It's fully cancelable. It's even transferable. That's not a thing in this industry. So they, they explicitly say, if I can't join on the flight in five years, can I give it to someone else? And they say, yes, you'll be able to transfer the reservation of seat to someone else after the payment for the reservation of the seat has been made and the name change will be free of charge. So I don't know what I'm doing five years from now. I doubt this aircraft will actually be certified, ready to fly and operational in five years. But if it is, I want one of those yeah. 30 seats. How many people? 30 seats. On, uh, okay. Yeah. But there's no guarantee that they'll use the ES-30 because the FAQs Second class questions, which aircraft will be used? And then it says, the final decision is not made with regards to which electric aircraft will operate the specific first flight. So who knows what plane they'll use? I don't know. Maybe it'll just be an A320neo with the engines off and the ram air turbine deployed. I don't know. That sounds unpleasant. I don't think it's going to be that, but no. you never know. You never know. What's next? Real aircraft entering real service. The Comac C919 entered commercial service this week. So that is the Chinese domestically developed first large passenger aircraft. So they've previously developed the ARJ21-700, which is charitably be described as a DC9. I mean, it looks like a DC9, talks like a DC9. Quacks like a DC-9. Quacks like a DC-9, yeah. Is irrelevant like a DC-9, doesn't matter. Yeah. But the C-919 is an actually relevant, interesting. Very much so. Maybe compelling aircraft? I don't know. I'm a fan. I'm not specifically of the aircraft, but of the competition and China breaking into the market. Hopefully, it is more successful than the ARJ never never was. Kind of hard to market a DC-9 knockoff in 2023, but the C-919 has taken a long, long, long time to be developed, built, certified through COVID and actually in service now with China Eastern. I'm excited about it. It's weird. Yeah. I think the reviews that came in said it's a a good plane. It's an airplane. You know, legroom's fine. Baggage storage was fine. Like everything was just fine. But, you know, the long discussion that we've had, you know, over multiple episodes of the podcast is basically the growth of the Chinese domestic aviation market is such that the support for a third leg, so to speak, is, is definitely there. So I think it'll be interesting to see as more of these come into service, if we start to see more and more orders for the C919, it'll also be interesting to see where it goes into service outside of China and, and how quickly that takes off or, or doesn't. I imagine it will. If even the Superjet, which is basically the Russian equivalent of the C919, it was uh, domestically built 
aircraft sourced with international parts or a lot of joint ventures. It was essentially an internationally built aircraft made domestically in Russia. That's really what the C919 is, except hopefully China can actually support the aircraft and keep it in service and not lead to the ultimate demise of any aircraft, any airline that actually operates it, like Interjet with the Superjet. So hopefully the C919 actually fills a, a need in the market and they're able to support it. That is a long way off in the future. Who knows what success or not the C919 will find, but I, I'm a fan. I, I hope to fly it one day. I am not going out of my way to fly it, but interesting to say the least. Yeah. I think it'll be fun to watch the development of, of the aircraft and the maturity of the program as it, as it comes out. Speaking of mature, Envoy Air is retiring its E-145s. Jason, you got to get on one. I have a dirty, not so secret secret that I, I don't think I've ever actually flown on an E-135 or E-145 ever. <gasps> and the days, they're numbered here. I feel like Envoy is known for flying these things. But this uh, comes to us from Flight Global, and I'm quoting the Texas headquartered carrier said on May 26th that it was bidding a fond goodbye to the ERJ-145 that has served Envoy Wells for so many years. They currently operate 22 as recently as mid-March. The last of them will be pulled from service, oh, next week. That's, well, if yeah, my math is correct, probably. next week is this week. <laughs> so by the time this podcast comes out, Envoy will have already retired at C-145s. Wow. I might never have a chance to fly on one of these unless I go out of my way to fly like uh, Jet Suite X or something like that. I think they fly E-145s. Yep. yep. Yeah. So I guess all they'll have left is, what else do they fly these days? E-175s, I think? Mm -hmm. That's a shame. Yeah. So no Envoy, but you'll have the, there are still some options out there. We don't get them here in New York as far as I am aware of these days. But yeah, kind of sad. I'll probably never get a chance to find one unless I really go out of my way to find it. So speaking of flying, Jason, you're doing a bit of flying. As we close the show, we'll kind of give you a preview of some things that are going on over the next week or so. Jason, you're headed off to the annual AIX. I was about to say AIX Expo, but that's not correct. It's the Aircraft Interiors Expo. Expo. So yes. AIX. Yeah. In Hamburg, Germany. Don't know what to expect this year, but I don't know. I get to fly an Air France A220, so that, that's something. Take what you can get. Yeah. We'll see. Whatever interesting things I see next week, we'll, we'll bring it to you here. And then before we go, I want to flag this one over on our YouTube channel. If you haven't taken a look at our YouTube channel, please do that. There's a link in the show notes and check that out because We've got our colleague Gabriel Lee doing a series right now of some very interesting oddball flights around Europe. But coming up and follow along on our various social media platforms, especially on Instagram and Twitter for this, Gabe is in Harare trying to fly the Air Zimbabwe 737-200. It is one of the last 737-200 pure passenger aircraft. It's basically Air Zimbabwe and airlines in Venezuela that are still flying pure passenger non-combi 737-200s. So he's decided to try the Air Zimbabwe one first to see if we can get through them all, perhaps. Is Air Zimbabwe still flying a 732 to, to fly them into like unimproved airports or runways or just because it's a really old aircraft and that's what they've got? I think it's just what they've got. And it's a sturdy workhorse. 
So be on the lookout for that and see the YouTube channel for some really great stuff that is going up now. And then in the next couple of weeks, you'll, we'll find out if he's even successful trying to fly it. A few people have tried and been unsuccessful, but we're hopeful because it's just back in the air after some extended maintenance. We'll see what mood the aircraft is in that day. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jason, safe travels, and we'll talk to you from Hamburg next week. This has been episode 218 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 